Ooh, there we go. Got it. Thank you, Reese. Hey, by the way, uh, Grace Valley, I forgot to mention this uh, at the beginning of the service. Thank you for parking well on the street. I know it sounds like a very small thing to you, but it's a big deal to our neighbors. Let's keep making sure we're not accidentally blocking anybody's driveway. We got a very nice email from someone saying, good park in Grace Valley. So let's keep it up. Uh, we are embarking for a few weeks on a, on a short series, not, not a long series, but a short series on spiritual gifts. And the reason we're going to do that is there's basically three reasons. One is because over the last number of weeks, we were going through all these metaphors of the church and talking about the implications of all these metaphors. And one of the implications of these metaphors is, uh, is that, that you are part of a church community for the purpose of serving God. And so spiritual gifts are the means by which God, uh, God empowers us and enables us to serve Him in the church. So that's the first thing. The second reason is basically because you've probably heard over the last number of weeks, we're, we're always calling for volunteers. We need people to serve in the church. And maybe a short series on spiritual gifts will motivate and encourage you to release those gifts in ministry in the church. And then the third reason is, is because from what I can tell anyway, a lot of Christians seem a little bit confused about spiritual gifts. They, they, they hear this term, spiritual gifts, they've, they've been told that all Christians are supposed to have spiritual gifts, but then when they look at their own lives and their own personhood or whatever, they think, I don't even know what my spiritual gifts are. I know I'm pretty good at, you know, woodworking, let's say. Is that a spiritual gift? I don't know. What are spiritual gifts? Do I have spiritual gifts? I don't know if I have spiritual gifts. And and if I want to, if I'm supposed to have them and I want to use them, how in the world do I discover spiritual gifts? So there's a lot of questions kind of around the subject uh, among a lot of Christians. And I thought, hey, maybe we can try to answer some of those questions over the next few weeks. Now, before we begin, let me just explain that, that since this is what we're going to be doing, I am going to try to be very, very practical in these messages. Now, Every sermon is meant to inspire. Every sermon is meant to lead you to the point where you worship and adore Jesus and believe in Him as the most valuable thing that you could ever give your heart to in this life. But sermons do that in different ways. Sometimes the aim is to exhort you. Sometimes the aim is to comfort you. Sometimes the aim is to encourage you. Sometimes the aim is to chide you. This time the aim is to teach you. So, I'm going to try very hard to educate you over these, these sermons, and so the sermon might sound a little different than what, what you might be typically used to, and I just want to prepare you for that because we're trying to wrap our head around this subject matter that is spiritual gifts. Now, we're going to just try to accomplish two things today. Today, we're going to try to understand what spiritual gifts are, generally speaking, and understand what they're for, generally speaking, pretty modest goals, but I think important goals nevertheless. So that's what we're going to try to do. What are they generally speaking? What are they for generally speaking? So let's start with what are spiritual gifts. In verse 4, as Reese read, it said there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. So gifts, we're talking about gifts. What kind of gifts are they? We didn't actually read it together for sake of time, but up in verse 1, Paul says this, now about the gifts of the Spirit. 
brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So, so these gifts, what we're talking about, are from the Spirit, but the emphasis here is that they are gifts because in verse 4, it says that they are distributed by this one Spirit. They are distributed by this one Spirit. So, so what are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are things given to the church by the Spirit of God. And those things that, 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 uh, that are given to us by the Spirit are listed there in verse, verses 8 to 10, as Reese read them just a moment ago. Now, that list in 1 Corinthians 12 that Reese just read is a representative list of these gifts of the Spirit. It's only one of a number of places in the New Testament where we learn about these things called spiritual gifts. So in 1 Corinthians 14, we get another list. In Romans chapter 12, we get another list. Then we get a very short list in 1 Peter 4 as well. But the point of, point, the reason I'm pointing all of this out to you is this. These spiritual gifts that are given to the church, there is a variety of them. There are, there are many combinations of them. You're going to hear more about that next week. But they all come from the same Holy Spirit. They are supernaturally disposed, or sorry, bestowed upon us. They come from the same source. They all come from God and not you. And this is really, 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 really important. So if we're going to define what spiritual gifts are, the first thing we're going to say is, is that spiritual gifts are abilities God graciously gives to Christians. They are abilities that God graciously gives to Christians. In other words, they are supernaturally dis- uh, uh, bestowed upon us. If you are a Christian, now let's remember, we never want to assume that we know what it means to be a Christian because there's a lot of confusion in the world right now about what it means to be a Christian. Let me define it for you once again. To be a Christian means that you are a person who believes deep in your heart of hearts that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived on this earth in bodily form some 2,000 years ago, is actually the incarnate God who created this universe whenever he did, many, 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 many more years before that. And that this Jesus came into this world to show you the love of this this God who created us, but we rejected him as we rejected our creator, and therefore he went to a cross, and in dying on that cross, he paid the penalty for your sin and rebellion against your creator, And he was raised by the Heavenly Father to demonstrate that his death on the cross literally paid for those sins so that death no longer has a hold on him. And if you trust in this Jesus, you believe in your heart of hearts that he lived for you, that he died for you, that he rose for you, then then death no longer has a hold on you either. And the way you want to live now is in obedience to that Jesus. If that's you, if you can say that that, what I just summarized, explains your position, then that means that you are a Christian. And if you are a Christian, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, lives in you. Now, I know that that's weird to many, many ears. Whether you're a Christian or not, it sounds weird. The Spirit lives in me. Where does He live? 
Is he in my abdomen? No, he lives in your heart. Well, does that help? I mean, I've, I've had heart surgery and, you know, they never saw God in there. What does that mean? What it means is, is that God lives at the, the root of your being, at the control center of your being. It is mysterious. I, I readily ad- admit that. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit, He has taken up residence in you. He lives within you, and He has given you abilities. He has given you abilities. But they are gifts, you see. They're gifts. They're not naturally occurring abilities. They're not something that you have acquired through skill development. They've been given to you supernaturally. Now, we need to do a little more work to understand what's going on here. Because maybe you're thinking, wow, I have spiritual gifts. Is that some sort of, like, is that like superpowers? You know, like, should I call the Avengers and let them know that there's another Avenger ready to go to work? And, and I could understand that you would think that because some of these gifts, they sound pretty wild and crazy, right? Uh, you know, uh, what does it say? It says, uh, to some, uh, uh, the message of wisdom, to some, the message of knowledge, to another, gifts of healing, and to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits. And of course, it says, to one, to another, miraculous power. So it sounds like pretty pretty supernatural, doesn't it? But, but I said that that's a representative list. If you go to another representative list in Romans chapter 12, you get stuff like this. These are also gifts. Faith, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. Those are also spiritual gifts. And those sound pretty normal and don't sound particularly uh, supernatural, right? So, so what's important here is to understand that what Paul means is that these gifts are given supernaturally. They're not something that you earn. They're not something that you deserve. They're not even something that you can, can personally develop under your own power. They've been given to you, and that means they're not like a talent. They're not like a talent. They're not like a natural talent. Like, people are born with natural talents. Have you ever noticed that many uh, professional athletes who have reached, like, the peak of their sport, many of them were multi-sport athletes and, and possibly could have gone pro in more than one sport? Why is that? Because they're, they're freaks of nature, athletically. That's why. They just have this coordination, this fluidity, a friend of mine always says that when you look at the best athletes in the world, they make the sport that they're playing look slow. Like they're so good that where everybody else is like frantically trying to keep up, everything just moves slowly for them because they're just so much quicker at understanding how things go. Well, that's inherited. That's not something that, that they produced in and of themselves. You know, you know how, you know, I won't say what family member it is, but I have a family member who doesn't matter how hard they try, when they sing, they are flat. They're off key. And I don't think any amount of training them to sing on key is actually going to get them to be able to sing on key because there's something in you. When you are musically inclined, there are people like people in this worship team who just, they just get music or, or get rhythm. And some people are like really good at math. 
you know, they just, they just get it. They look at a, they look at a, 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 um, a math problem and the solution just sort of makes sense to them. The logic of it makes sense. Now, they may not know all the solutions to every math problem, but in the process of learning the solutions to the math problems, it's like really easy for them. And the rest of us are just, it does not matter how many times you show me how to do algebra, I, it does not make sense to me. I remember my kids talking about bed mass, and I was like, oh, I have some vague memory of that. And then they started explaining what bed mass was, and I was like, I'm having PTSD. Stop talking. I failed grade 10 math three times. Three times! I literally went to my principal after I failed the third time and negotiated a passing grade. You want me out of here? I want me out of here. Let's figure this out. So people are born with talents. And, and, and just like abilities that they have within them and those talents are nurtured often by the environment in which they, they find themselves. And yes, some talents can enhance spiritual gifts. I'm not saying they can't, but they're not the same thing. We should not confuse them. They are different. Well, how are they different? Here we go. Look at verse 6. In verse 6, Paul says this, there are different kinds of working but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, that word for work there is a very interesting word. It's the Greek word energamaton. You hear that? Energamaton. What's the word that you hear in there? Energy, right? It's the same word that we use for energy. And what Paul is saying here when he says it's the same God who is at work, there's different work to do, and it's the same God who is at work. What he's saying is, is that spiritual gifts are unique in the sense that God is the one who energizes them. God is the one who makes them effective. God is the one who works through them. So their effectiveness in some way, shape, or form is, is kind of outside of your control because it is God who is the one who, who makes them effective in the life of the church. See, a talented athlete, if you're athletic and you train and you work at it and you, you uh, practice really hard and you build that muscle memory, you are the one who is doing the work and you are the one who is affecting the work. That's not how it works with spiritual gifts. They don't work that way. Let me give you an, a negative illustration to help understand this. Charles Spurgeon, he was a 19th century preacher, 1800s. He's known as the prince of preachers. He was a phenomenal preacher. Well, he, he was not a Christian when he was growing up. He was a churchgoer, but he was not a Christian. And at, at, when he was 15 years old, this is a, a story that Charles Spurgeon tells. When he was 15 years old, he was going to go to church one morning, but there was kind of a storm, a snowstorm or a very bad windstorm or something like that. And he couldn't go to the church that he regularly go to, uh, would go to. And so he slipped into this little Methodist chapel on the way to church, that, the one that he normally goes to. He slips into this little Methodist chapel uh, because he couldn't get to the church that he normally goes to. And what he saw was a lay preacher, a guy who was obviously a lay preacher, not the regular minister who was up at the pulpit and uh, leading the service, and he was not doing a very good job. And he finally gets to his sermon, and the man took as his text... Isaiah 45, verse 22, that says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Great text. Turn to me and be saved, all you the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And this guy, because he was not much of a public speaker and not much of a preacher, he didn't really have much to add <laughs> to, the, to that. So he just kept kind of repeating 
the verse over and over again. And then he would interject a little bit here and then go back to repeating the verse. And then he would say something here that didn't really actually uh, relate very closely to what he was talking about. But then he'd go back to the verse and he would repeat the verse. And listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. He had not much to say. Thank God. For that compelled him to keep on repeating the text. And there was nothing needed by me any rate, at any rate except his text. And then he goes on to basically say, I was converted by this man's terrible sermon. This simple country preacher who just kept repeating this text. I was converted under that ministry of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying, okay, that, that anyone can preach and nor am I saying that, that everyone should just preach the way this guy did in order to uh, accomplish the goal of communicating the gospel. What I'm saying is this is an illustration that the effectiveness of spiritual gifts depends on God. In that moment, God used this man, gave him the gift of preaching, gave him the gift of evangelism in order to meet Charles Spurgeon where he was and to bring him to faith. Now, did this man continue to have this spiritual gift all his life, and did he turn into a revivalist? I don't know. I doubt it, because we never really heard of him, heard from him again. But it shows you that the difference between gifts and talents is that God's Spirit is the one who empowers gifts as opposed to you just developing your talents and using them. So that's, that's the first thing. What are spiritual gifts? They are abilities, that God graciously gives to Christians. But that definition isn't enough. Why are they abilities that are given graciously to Christians? Well, look at verse 5. In verse 5 it says, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of service. You see, spiritual gifts are abilities God graciously gives to Christians for service. For service to whom? Well, that's explained in verse 7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And when Paul refers to the common good in this context, he's talking about the church. He's not talking about society, the common good of society. He's talking about the common good for the church. Spiritual gifts are given to believers to serve the church, to build up the church, to strengthen the church, to encourage the church. Think about this. What is serving? Today, everybody wants good service. Service is the thing that we're looking for. We are looking for our needs to be met at a price that we are willing to pay. That's how we look at service in our culture. And it is the very opposite of what the Bible is describing as service. In the Bible, service is the community having needs that I put before my own. I put the needs of the community before my own needs. I put the, the needs of the group before my own. That's what it means to serve. To think of what is best for the collective as opposed to what is best for the individual. It's the exact opposite of what we think service is about in our modern culture. We think service is about finding what I want and what I need and being sure that I, I get it at a cost that I'm willing to pay. And then I make a Google review about it so that other people can find that great service just like me. But the model for 
biblical Christian service is Jesus Christ himself. What does he say in Matthew 20? He says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when you look at the life of Jesus, what you see is someone who saw service as the end goal of his very existence. You can behold the Son of God and you can see him teaching his disciples over and over again, patiently and with grace and with kindness because they keep failing to understand what his mission is. You can see the Son of God before His people, wash, his, his disciples, He is washing their feet. Why is Jesus washing His disciples' feet in John? Was it just because Jesus said, hey, I got a great idea for a really good analogy? No, it was because their feet stank and they were about to have supper. Have you ever, so I have some kids who work in uh, labor where you have to sweat a lot in the summertime and then they all come home at the end of, of the day for supper, all at the same time. And because we don't always take a shower first before we sit down for supper, we sit down for supper and we eat and then the day carries on. Well, have you ever sat around with all those sweaty, stinky feet with their smell kind of wafting up from the table and you're trying to dig into a meal? That's really, really, really hard to do. So Jesus, my kids are going to kill me when I go home for lunch today. I'm just getting I'm like... You're like, what's up? What did we do? You, you're smoke roasting us all service long. I apologize, children. Kind of. Anyway, uh, it needed to be done. And so Jesus did it. When Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't thinking to himself, man, this is so personally fulfilling. He was looking at those he loved and saying, this is what they need. They need my death in their place if they are going to live. And his arms were open wide in service. All Christians are to take their spiritual gifts and use them for the common good. And again, that's why we have to distinguish between gifts and talents. Yes, there's overlap here. And some of you may have talents that you've used in your sort of uh, vocational life and in your secular calling that translate well into being used in the church. And we're going to talk more about how that works again uh, next week. But there is a danger in conflating spiritual gifts and talents. Because you see, if you do that, then you are going, you'll assume that your talents ought to necessarily translate into the church and you should be using them in the same way. And here's one il illustration where that can be a problem. Let's say you're a pretty successful corporate manager. You have people working under you and you're very good at managing them, and, and you're very good at sort of figuring out problems and, and, uh, and addressing those problems and unleashing your uh, employees to use their talents to the best of their ability, and, and your superiors are really impressed with you, and you think to yourself, well, yeah, I have, I, have the, I have the gift of leading. And then you step into the church, and people say, hey, can you set up chairs? Hey, can you go sit in the nursery with babies and just hold them so that they don't cry so their mom and their dad can come into the service once in a while and actually focus on the Word of God? And you think to yourself, well, phew, you know, that's kind of beneath me. I mean, I'm a leader. I'm a leader of men or women. And this is kind of beneath me to do these kinds of things. I'm not here to set up chairs. I'm not here to work in the nursery. Well, that's hubris. And if that is sort of your attitude, well, then you, <laughs> you probably don't have the gift of leadership in the church. 
But more importantly, what I'm trying to say is that, that not your talents in your secular life don't necessarily translate into gifts that ought to be used in the church. I've been in contexts where, where people who have been very good at leading, maybe they've owned a business and they've built it very large and successfully, etc., and people put them in leadership in the church because of their success in the secular world, and it turns out that they actually don't have the gifts of leadership in the church, and their leadership ends up a bit of a disaster. All right, we're going to close but two more things quickly. One is, so spiritual gifts are not talents. They are bestowed, what, they are bestowed on us by God for service in the church. That's what we've discovered. That's what we've learned this morning. Think about this. If gifts are for the church and every believer has them, then every believer is called to serve in some capacity in the church. It is not enough for followers of Jesus Christ to just faithfully, even if it's faithfully, come to services week in and week out and say, I am, I am, I am participating in the life of the church. No, you're not. Every one of us has a unique gift set. We're going to talk more about how to discover that, but you do. Every one of us has a unique gift set. You are like a snowflake or a fingerprint. Your, your gift set is that unique to you. And it is meant to be deployed in the life of the church. And therefore, if you are here and you are not deploying your gift set in the life of the church, the church is being weakened by your lack of participation. Now, if you're new here, you're like, hey, I've only been going to this church for like three months. Okay, chillax. I'm not telling you that you... I don't even know if I want to be a member of this church. Okay, relax. I'm not saying to you, why aren't you using your gifts? But I am saying that, that if you hear a call for, for the need to, uh, of people to be involved in different ministries of the church and you're coming here and you say to yourself, well, I don't really want to do that or I don't like to do that or I'm frankly, I'm too busy to participate that way. I submit that you're forgetting Jesus. Do you think he was looking, for, do you think he... He wanted to wash his disciples' feet. Those stinky, poop-covered, smelly, sweaty, gross feet. Do you think he wanted to do that? Do you think he was feeling oh so fulfilled that he was like unleashing his gift set on the world when he was dying on the cross? No, he, he, he was dying for his enemies. And he did it because that's what was needed. That's one thing. Second thing is this. I didn't know how to tie this into the sermon, but it's a really important thing. Do not mistake spiritual gifts for spiritual fruit. This is humongous. Do not mistake spiritual gifts for spiritual fruit. You know what spiritual fruit are, right? The fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did you know that it's one fruit? It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit, and that's an important distinction because you are called to grow symmetrically. You're, to, you're called to bear fruit symmetrically. You can't say to yourself, well, I have the gift of love, but I don't really have the, or I have the fruit of love, but I don't really have the fruit of self-control. It doesn't work that way. You're supposed to grow those gifts and produce, <laughs> produce those fruits, I said, symmetrically together. Now, Jesus alone, and, and sorry, you're supposed to have all of them. That's not how it works with gifts. People don't have all the gifts. Jesus is the only one who had all the gifts. 
But if you mistake spiritual gifts for spiritual fruit, you can run yourself into big trouble. Look, I have the ability to speak publicly. And I've been told that I'm pretty good at it. So that may be a spiritual gift I have. But listen, my fruit, my spiritual fruit, could, could my, my relationship with God could be in the toilet. I could be, if my wife and kids don't, aren't honest and open and tell people the truth, I could be a, a complete bear at home. I could be a bully with my children. I could, I could be like that with my kids. I could have no spiritual uh, uh, life at home at all. I could be, I could be, I could be maybe even an unbeliever. But certainly my spiritual life could be in the toilet. But then I come here on Sunday and because I have a, an ability to, to speak publicly, I stand up and I, I speak publicly and I preach and, and maybe you come to me after the service and you say, man, that was a really good sermon. I, I found myself growing in my fruit of the Spirit. I found myself growing in joy or I found myself growing in faith. I, I feel more confident. I'm, I'm walking out in the world in strength. Thank you, Pastor, for that. And what's happening is, is that, that my gift is being used by God to grow your spiritual fruit. But I mistake it for spiritual fruit in me. What, what do you think has happened? What happened? Do you not ever wonder yourself, what in the world happens to someone like Rabbi Zacharias? You know the story, right? Many, many, many people touched by him and his ministry, and yet he had this hidden life of, I guess, sex addiction behind the scenes. And he's not the only one. Jean Vanier is another example. Well, that happens when we, we mistake gifts for fruit. And I could say, well, people are, are being blessed by my preaching, and therefore I must be right with God, when, when all the while I'm not. Friends, 90% of your attention should be spent on developing the fruit of the Spirit. 90% of your energy should be spent on developing the fruit of the Spirit, character, the virtues that reflect the character of Jesus Christ in your life, and let the gifts bubble up where they may. Because if you mistake your gifts for fruit, you're cruising for a bruising. How's that for a happy ending? <laughs> Amen, let's pray. Father, uh, we praise you and thank you that you, in your grace, give the church gifts. We know so little about gifts, really, but we're trying to learn, and we pray that you will enable us to learn. Help us, Father, to, to see gifts as something that you've given us, not for the sake of... Uh, making a name for ourselves, but for the sake of building up your church. There are people in this church who need the gifts that only other people in this church have. They need those gifts to be unleashed in their lives so that they can be encouraged and strengthened and buoyed up in their walk with you. Father, may we all take seriously the call to discover our gifts if we don't know how. May we learn how in the next few weeks together. Um, but may we be uh, open and willing to use our gifts uh, for your glory.